welcome back to another episode of Trading Secrets. And this is an episode like no other. It is part two with Chris Harrison. So unlike most episodes, when we ring in the bell, you're not going to hear me do the short intro in front of the guest. We're going to jump right back into it. We will make sure that we clip a small section from part one at the top of part two so you can remember where we left off. But part one was jam-packed. The feedback has been incredible. The amount of comments and reviews stating how much they took away from Chris Harrison's story has just been absolutely mind-blowing. If you haven't listened to part one, make sure you go back and listen. And also, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast and follow, please just go to Apple, Spotify, hit the follow and subscribe button. You have no idea how much it helps us. We have Chris Harrison part two today and then next week. Uh-oh, get ready to go because I'm in the hot seat. A Jason Tells All episode where David asks me all the questions about my numbers, my year, the ins and outs, the ups, the downs. If I'm going to ask my guests these questions, I better be prepared to answer them myself. So a JTA coming up. Now, a little fun fact about Chris Harrison, you're going to hear about who wants to be a millionaire. Let me talk a little bit about it. But we didn't get to all the numbers because I only had so much time, but we got some good meat in this episode. Here's a little fact for you. The millionaire deal for Chris Harrison was a seven-figure job, a seven-figure job, which the creator of the show, I guess, didn't want Chris to do. But in his words, he fought like hell for it, and he got it. And fortunately, they found an agreement. But you think about that right? One opportunity goes to the next and to the next, and you're creating value and experience. And from that, new opportunities come. And Chris was already on top of the world hosting The Bachelor. And then boom, another seven-figure opportunity comes in with who wants to be a millionaire. This episode, we're going to get a lot into the career at The Bachelor with Chris Harrison, where he thinks the show is today, things he may have done differently, things that he had trouble and struggles with. We even talk about the fact all these kids come off this show, they start influencing, they're making all this money. Chris had some struggles with that. And if you think about it, that's millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars off the table because he wasn't able to participate in it. You think about NCAA athletes with NIL, they're making millions of dollars at 18, 19, 20 with their name, image, and likeness, aside from what they do, which is playing football. We got Sergio Garcia on. He's going to talk about how much he won at the Masters and how much his brand deals were so much larger. In every sport, brand deals and endorsements are a huge opportunity. Now, Chris's main thing was hosting, but there's a lot of money left off the table because he was very restricted. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Now, get ready for this episode. Make sure to follow. Let's talk a little bit about the market, some things you need to know. Everyone's talking about inflation, inflation, inflation. Well, the US inflation rate right now is 3.14%. That's compared to 3.24% last month and 7.11% last year. That's a lot. We know. That's all we hear about in the media. Let's talk about the market. If you just invested in the S&P 500 on January 1st, right now you would be up 24.58%. 24.58%. You put $100 in, you got 124.58. You put $100,000 in, you got $124,000. Up 24.58%. This is why historically we have been told and taught that if you invest in the market over a long period of time, you will see gains that much, much outperform inflation. I just went over inflation numbers, 3%, 3%, 7%. S&P 500 this year up 24.59%. The time to get in the game is now. If you don't know how to do it, go to Amazon, go pre-order a copy, 
of talk money to me and you will learn how to do it. Now, I also want to talk about no state income tax. That's a big theme in my life right now because there is no state income tax in Tennessee, which is where I will be living and where I currently live, even if I decide to go to New York for leisure time. Now, as of 2023, Alaska, Florida, Nevada, New Hampshire, South Dakota, Tennessee, Texas, Washington, and Wyoming are the only states that do not levy a state income tax. Now, please note that Washington does levy a state capital gains tax on certain higher earners, but no state income tax on those. So you think about state income tax, that can range from all different levels, from 4% up to 9-10%. None of that comes into question with those states. Now, a lot of people ask, well, do they make up for it in other areas of tax? In some of the states, they do, and some they don't. If you guys want me to do a full review on state income tax for a full episode, let me know in the comments. Give us five stars, and I could just do that. Now, a little update for my personal life. I did a Q&A this past week, and I think it would be really good to share one of the answers I gave, just because it came from the heart, it wasn't prepared, and I've received a lot of feedback that people enjoyed it. So from a little update from my personal life, I was asked the following question, how should I avoid feeling so lonely and not enough as the token single friend and family member at 30? This was my response. I stopped comparing yourself to others. Almost all my friends are married with kids. My life is different than theirs. My chapters are different. My growth is different. The things that have happened are different. You can't compare any of that. Doesn't mean one's more successful than the other. Be better than you were yesterday. Grow as a person in ways that you didn't last year. Find out what's next for you. Don't dwell on what you don't have. Look at what you do have. In this scenario, you're 30 years old. You're single. You've got life in the palm of your hand that you can do anything with. There's only one priority. When you're 30 and single, you. Go live it up no matter what position you are. Focus on your growth and not comparing yourself to others because it is a tunnel that will only lead to negativity, depression, and disaster. That's a little note from me, right? So I would talk a little bit about my personal life. That's something I really felt this past week. The holiday season could be extremely challenging for a lot of people, while of course, thriving in happiness and fulfillment for others. And I just think it's so important that we don't compare ourselves. We understand our journey. We understand what's next for us. Something I'm really working on. My theme for 2024 is going to be execute. Stop thinking and just go live go do it. That being said, I'll end with this. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Merry Christmas as this episode comes out on Christmas Day. Happy New Year. And for all the money mafia that continues to follow and listen to our show, a huge thank you as the year comes to an end. We wouldn't be here without you. It means the world that you guys are listening to this show and we listen to your feedback. We love you guys. Enough of me. Let's ring in the bell. Part two, the episode I know so many of you have been waiting for with Chris Harrison. Okay, let's go back to 22-year-old Chris negotiating $22,500 deal who accepts it immediately. They bring $12,500 to you per episode. You know it's significantly lower than you're getting paid. Do you think about negotiating that? Well, we did negotiate. And again, I wish I knew. I'd have to go back in the old archives to figure out, you know, did they offer me eight to start or nine or something? And we got to 12.5 and, you know, they wanted me to be non-union and I, I... said, I'm, I'm not going to give up my mem- union membership. And so there were things that like, they were willing to pay me more if I would do that. And so a lot of things went in, there was a lot of negotiations going back and forth, but you know, to their credit, 
they had me over a barrel. I had never hosted a network show. I was a good host, mm-hmm. done some game shows and stuff like that, but I'd never been on a major network. Okay. So it was, they knew it was a big gig for me. This what? is a big breakthrough. So in that regard, I didn't have that much leverage. I would have my leverage later, but not then. And I knew that. And again, I didn't care, you know, sure. I would have loved to have made millions, but I just, knew this was the next step. I just, I'm a big gut guy. Yeah. I believe in if, if it feels right, I'm going to do it. And I'm, and I don't have regret when I do things, I'm just going to do it. And it's not that I won't make mistakes and it's not that I'm always right, but I'd never look back and think, no, because I'm like, I trust the guy that made the decision at the time. So you were the guy. You took that role on. You followed your heart. And at this point, it seems like career navigation has been your biggest strength and also leading with heart and logic, not ego. Season one does okay. Yeah, fine. Gets the attention of America. A lot of people remember it as big. It was kind of big, but ABC was a dumpster fire at the time. A lot of shows were aging and going off the air as we came on. And reality TV was not a thing. You know, Survivor had just started and then us. So everyone was kind of still reluctant to really believe in it. And more importantly, industry-wide, it was very looked down upon. We were pond scum in the industry. Unscripted TV is still fighting in 2023 to not be pond scum. I think it's kind of turned the corner. So in 2002, it's a whole different ball, especially in Hollywood. I went to this thing called the upfronts and it's where you present, the network presents their upcoming schedule to all the advertisers. And we go and we're in Radio City Music Hall and Jimmy Kimmel had just started. So Jimmy Kimmel's there and all the actors are there for the new shows. And I'll never forget Lloyd Braun was his name. He was the president of ABC. And he basically was like looking around the room. He's like, look, we're not proud of this, you know, but yeah, we got the bachelor that's coming on this fall. We were just like, I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, I come on stage and wave. It was just like, Thanks, guys. it couldn't have been a bigger like turd in the punch bowl. It was so funny because that's how actors looked at us. That's how I'll never forget. They didn't know what to do with me. We would go to ABC events and at the time, they had this thing called Monday Night Football on, on, on ABC. And it was Monday Al Michaels and John Madden or whatever. And I would go and I remember Christy Yamaguchi, the, the great figure skater, was there from ABC Sports. And so they're like, I don't know, man, go with the sports people. They just, so they didn't know what to do. Know where to put yeah, they're just like, go stand over there with Al Michaels. And so I got to know Al Michaels, which was awesome because I was a sports guy. But it was funny. I just remember they don't, they, nobody knew what to do with this reality TV thing. But then that reality TV thing becomes a massive, yeah. massive game changer with season two, right? Which pissed them off even more. But it pissed the industry off, yes. but you're getting 30 million plus so, views. That's yeah. one third so of the Alex Super Alex Michelle was season one. Season two was this banker, Aaron Berge from Missouri, which people, it's funny, people really forget about that season. People talk about Trista on, you know, Bob Guinea, Andrew Farson. It's probably because, you know, he went back, Aaron went on and lived his life and still, I think, owns banks and restaurants in Missouri. But it's funny that people don't talk about that season because that season was the game changer. That was the tilt, the tipping point. That catapulted Trista season oh, to take over the entire. 100%. I mean, what's interesting now is we see ratings, Golden Bachelor, five to six million, Bachelor in Paradise, two million. Right. We're talking 30 million, like touching 40 million in some we would episodes. Have, we would have literally jumped off a bridge if we saw the ratings that they get today back then. Well, first of all, you wouldn't have been on the air. They midway through the show, they literally would have pulled the plug out of the wall and it would have been over. Fascinating. But we had at the end of season two with Aaron Berger, we had 33 million viewers. We outdrew the world series. We outdrew the Oscars. It was damn number one show on TV by far. And then we had this amazing woman, Trista Wren, who was on season one. 
And that was how that whole thing started of let's bring a woman off the last show and make her the bachelorette. And so we brought Trista on and she was our first bachelorette and she got that beautiful residual bounce from Aaron Berge season. And now this thing was a tsunami of press viewers. I knew my life had changed again massively, but I wasn't sure how, like I couldn't put it in perspective because, you know, I've used this analogy before, but it was like, Rookie year, you go to the Super Bowl. Yeah. You know it's cool because you've watched the Super Bowl your whole life, but sure. you don't know what it takes to get there. Yeah. And so I this is my first network gig, and all of a sudden, I'm the number one show on all of television. Unprecedented numbers. Crazy. So you have to at this point go knocking on their door and say, Okay, the show's taken off. My twelve five's gotta change. I gotta leave the horse racing network, right? There was some animosity being built up because I was paying so much attention and, you know, with my other show and The Bachelor and Bachelorette. And now, you know, it's I was becoming a news story and stuff. And so it just, it started getting in the way and I couldn't give them my attention anymore. And so I left. Okay. Um, and it really, what did it was they, they asked me to come in and work. I, I hadn't had a holiday off in a while and I finally had some really good friends coming in for Thanksgiving. And I said, guys, I'm going to take Thanksgiving off. Okay. They said, no, you're not. And I think it was a power play, you know, to yeah. like keep me under their thumb. And I yeah. said, all right, I quit. I grabbed my shit. I'm like, I, I was looking for an excuse to leave anyway. And I said, look, we all know this is over, but I left on good terms. I still keep in touch with a lot of those guys. And I, I have mad respect and love for, for that network. And I learned so much starting a network, creating something from scratch, which we did with that network. I learned so much about, you know, just throwing stuff against the wall, being brave, being, you know, unafraid to fail. Yeah. But the bachelor, you know, after Trista, now we're cooking and yeah. now we're crushing it, but I'm not. How many seasons does it take for you to get that new package? So well, here's what's funny. wasn't funny at the time. It is now. I have to say, funny at, the time. at the time, it really <laughs> pissed me off. And I was like, oh, I was livid. But I have this deal for five seasons of The Bachelor. Okay. So five seasons. And we created The Bachelorette, so it counts. So, you know, we do the first one, Alex Michelle, then Aaron Berge, then Trista. And then, you know, we do like Bob Guinea and Andrew Firestone or whoever came next. So I'm like, okay, that's... You know, we were going into that fifth season. I called my agent. I said, guys, this is great. Not only, you know, we're still number one in the world. We're killing it and we're going to renegotiate. You know, this is my fifth and final season. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Where everyone's excited. This is going to be big. And I get a call from my agent. So yeah, your deal is for five years, not five seasons. Oh, and I, I don't know what shit. kind of language you use on your, on your show, <laughs> but let's just say there were some expletives flying and. I, I'm not prone to cussing, but I lost my shit. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I, so I'm doing three of those, a, three of these a year for five years. And I'm in year one or year two. I'm like, I have to do 15 seasons of a, of a TV show. The odds of a, of a, any show making it 15 seasons is impossible. Like there's I, no, no way. chance. No way. And granted, yes, hindsight, this show did go for much longer and it's yeah. still going. But at the time, it's I'm crazy. like, this is ridiculous. I fired my agent, which was tough because yeah. they had gotten me from Oklahoma City to LA and they had done some wonderful things. Some things happened within the organization that wasn't the certain agent's fault. I still loved her. She was fantastic, but she had kind of stepped away maternity leave. So I was left in some kind of unfamiliar hands that mm -hmm. weren't as good as her. And I caught him in a lie on something. And I said, that's it. That's again, all I needed was that one reason. And I, I fired my agent and I hired, I went to Endeavor. And I uh, met these these great people. They're still there. Sean Perry, Lance Klein, <clears throat> Evo Fisher. They were there, and they quickly 
took my contract, laughed at it, burned it, and said, we'll call you back this afternoon. And they called me back and they said, okay, here's the new terms. And I'm like, oh, so this is how it works. And is that when life changed for Chris Harrison? That's when life really changed. That's when I didn't care about anything else about, you know, Home and Garden Show and all. And by this time, thankfully, Home and Garden Show had kind of been waning, actually. And so we we stopped doing that. And so I quit the, then the Bachelor, Bachelorette became my full-time job. But I'll be honest, I, I was always still scared and reluctant to quit everything because Again, I wasn't making so much money that I could quit. People thought as of Trista's season, this is three seasons in, I was making million bucks, millions and millions. I wasn't making millions of dollars. Yeah. I, I'll never forget. I, I was driving this gold Nissan Altima, used Altima, mm-hmm. and I would drive on the set and, you know, for the executive producers and myself, we would pull actually into, we weren't at the mansion. We were at this old place in Malibu. I would pull into the driveway and a PA or an intern, whatever would take your car and go valet park it. So there's a few of us that got to do that. And I was one of them. And I remember the creator of the show was standing on the porch one day when I drove in and he's like, the host of my show can't drive a used <laughs> Nissan Altima. I said, well, let me tell you something, dude, with what you're paying me, this is what I can afford. So unless you buy me a new car or you know, and by the way, his agency and, or the network that got him a, they bought him a brand new Porsche. They bought uh, him like a big screen TV for a big thank you gift. And I'm like, all right, where, you know, this trickle down, right? Trickle yeah, down theory, right? You know, Reaganomics. No, no, that's not how that worked. Interesting. Uh, their job. And look, any, any business and, and our business is the same. Their job is to give you as little as possible and make you do as much as possible. Mm-hmm every industry in the world, that's the same thing. They want to pay you as little as possible. So they make more, but they want to take every ounce of sweat equity you have. Well, let me ask you this then, because I think that makes a lot of sense. But just in Austin for, for Sergio's event, I interviewed Sergio, blown away to learn that when he won the masters, the check was only 1.2 million. Yeah. Yes. 1.2 million is a lot. When you think about perspective, the value of what the masters brings and everything else, 1.2 is nothing. He said the true value comes in brand endorsements and opportunities after. I think about people from the show, a lot of them are making well into the seven figures from great endorsements, the businesses they built, the podcasts they have, et cetera. Were you able to monetize outside the show with like brand collaborations, brand endorsements, things like that? That was the tough part. And I I was a little bit, there was a little bit of jealousy with you guys because y'all had more of an opportunity to go monetize it. Mm -hmm. I had to kind of, you know, be careful about where my bread was buttered, which was the show. You guys leave and you're done or whatever, and you can break your contract, whatever. They're not really going to come sue you or whatever, you know, they'll threaten it or whatever. But for me, they could fire me. It was my job. And so, yes, they allowed me to do some stuff, but I had to be very careful about the things I chose to do. Understood. And I also worked for someone who was pretty controlling. And again, I'm not saying that's good or bad. That's his perspective. He's the boss. Yeah. You can be controlling if you want. If you're the boss, it's your prerogative. Sure. He was very controlling and didn't love it when I slept around. It was mayhem when I went and did Millionaire. And I thought I had his blessing even. Mm -hmm. Even when I thought I had his blessing, it would still be brutal when I got back home. It's like someone who says, oh, it's okay if you go out with the boys and then you get home and there's hell to pay. Yeah. That's how it was. Anytime... I, you know, and you know, people would make snide comments about, oh, I saw you doing this and oh, you're selling wedding rings now. And oh, you're doing, you know, it it was just, it was a battle. And, you know, I'm dealing with ABC, I'm dealing with Warner slash telepictures. I'm dealing with, you know, executive producers. So there was, there was a line that I had to be careful. I didn't cross. I had to play this game 
And I also had to play a very interesting balancing act because the creator of the show was not liked by the network. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the creator of the show creates the show and is part of the production company, but the network, ABC, despised him. So I'm getting invited to the upfronts. I'm the face and the voice of the show because they don't like him and they can't put him face forward because there's a lot of issues. Of course. So now... I am, there's a lot of animosity building because of this. So I'm trying to please the network, but I'm also trying to be loyal. I'm a very loyal person yeah. and I'm trying to work my ass off and make this a success. And I'm trying to do what's right by everybody, but it's impossible to do right by everybody because they don't like each other. Interesting. When you're negotiating with the bachelor, you're negotiating through the production company, but when like who wants to be a millionaire comes to you, are you then negotiating through the well, bachelor production company? With the or bachelor, I'm negotiating with the production company, but also the network has to sign off on me. Got it. So everybody has okay. a say, but technically, you know, and you can be paid by both. I won't get into the weeds of how all that works, but typically you're being paid by the television show and the production company. Okay. But ABC and all the way up to Bob Iger can say no, no. or yes. And so it's this weird balancing act. And so I was trying, you know, I thought, and I had to learn these lessons. I didn't have anybody to teach me this mm -hmm. because I'm by myself. There's no cast of The Bachelor. It's me. You know, no one else is getting paid sure, at this point. Of course. And so I'm learning all these lessons. I don't have fellow actors and fellow people that have been in the business that can say, hey, dude, this is how this works. Mm -hmm. I'm just making mistakes unintentionally by thinking, well, we're all in bed together, right? I'm, yeah. I'm doing a favor to ABC, which will make these people happy. And it's like, no, when I would do a favor for ABC, the creator of the show and these people are pissed off yeah. because they think ABC's stealing me. And yeah, if I just do things here, well, now ABC's pissed. It's like, you know, I'm like the child in a divorce, yeah, just being thrown around. Yeah. Being traded at McDonald's on a Saturday afternoon. <laughs> and it's just like, and I'm trying to quickly learn this game that I am immersed in because I'm also trying to make a living and I'm also trying to raise my, my children at the time. And yeah. it was a dangerous, crazy game. And people think, oh, you're hosting The Bachelor. You got it all figured out. You're crushing it. And at this point, I am making bank. I'm, I'm making the money I never dreamed I would. But it's tenuous, man. Yeah. They, they make sure you know it's tenuous. They, yeah. they, whether, you, whether it is or not, you know, even when you're Tom Brady, they want you to feel like the next quarterback is waiting to come on the field. For sure. And because that gives them negotiating yeah, power. Yeah, it's leverage. It's yeah. all about leverage. And I think that happens in almost, you know, all corporate America. At different For extents, sure. it happens in all different places, all different categories. You know, the entertainment is, business is notoriously dirty and, and bad about that. Yeah. But it does happen in every business for okay. sure. And our business is no different. Yeah. Interesting. Let me ask you this. I already know because I asked before the show and Chris gave me the nay. I said, first episode, I'm asking you how much you make. He's like, all right, bring it on. I said, how about the last episode? He goes, <laughs> go pound salt. Okay. Yeah. I so won't tell you what I, I was making when I left, but I'll tell you what I made when I start. And I will tell you those two uh, numbers were very different. Very different. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Can you tell me hot, warm or cold in your career? Once you started getting going, were you making seven figures? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that gives at least an idea yeah, without I, getting anyone And, and that was when I renegotiated at the end of year two. So that would have been season six, seven. I don't know. I forget when I, I honestly, I, I keep the contract in my safe so I can just as a keepsake for yeah, no reason yeah, at yeah. all. I can go back and look at it to see when it was, but that's when financially my life changed. Okay. That's when I realized switch. Yeah. Like okay. uh, life, life's going to be pretty good. As far as whether it's relevant to your contract or other contracts within just this industry, do contracts ever connect to performance of the show? Like in every single world, there's bonuses and stuff. Yeah. Does that sometimes work? 
Yeah, for sure. There are there there's ratings bonuses. There are uh, there's a lot of different ways you can skin that cat for sure. And everybody's different. It's like professional sports is the same way. Okay. If I if I'm you know all star, I get this. If we win the World Series, I get this. If we get you know, there's a ton of stuff built in. I didn't have a lot of that. Okay. We were more you know again. You pick and choose where you're where what battles you're going to fight. Yeah, the show is you know the numbers were bonkers. I can't even explain to you because it's, it's so technical, but I, you know, every, we were on Wednesdays at the beginning, we were on against uh, a show called the West wing. Mm-hmm. And there was a show called Ally McBeal yeah. that we were on against. And those were big juggernauts back yeah. in the day. And we're like, Oh, y'all aren't going to survive. And we thrived and crushed those shows and put them off the air. And we were just, we were this thousand pound gorilla just steamrolling and i remember when heroes came on on nbc and a good friend of mine greg greg grunberg was on it and i called him and i said hey buddy congratulations on heroes if anybody's going to take us down because it was getting big numbers and and critical acclaim and said if hey anybody's going to take us down i'm glad it's a friend of mine that's awesome i'm I'm really happy for you and you know we put that thing out of business i I mean nobody could just nobody could take us down and every we we were just the bullseye of the entire industry. Everybody wanted to bury us because we were so huge. The entire industry, the entire country. And at this point, it's touching international level. Everyone knows about it. I think Chris Harrison, though, was the bullseye for this statement. And I want to see your misconceptions with it. And it was Chris Harrison has the most desirable job in the world. (laughs) He comes out and he says, ladies, this is the final rose. I want you to give us a little behind the scenes of what that job looked like on a day-to-day basis and what the misconception is behind people saying, that's the most desirable, easiest job. I want that job. Tell us a little bit about what we don't know. Well, I guess the best way to answer that is, you know, the links that they went to and who they tried to replace me with. Everyone yeah. behind the scenes at the show knows yeah. who they, they tried to get to replace me. The fact that none of those people would do it mm-hmm. that, tells you how desirable the job is. Now, well I, I created the job, and at first I was just a host. I yeah. literally was a talking head and a host, and then it became more and more as I, I, I created that niche and, and became more of the confidant and could and, and I had to prove my competency. I had to prove my trust and re- my relationship with the audience. Yeah. Once I built that, which I took very careful and I took very personal, and I knew it was important. I knew as I go, so does the audience. If yeah. the audience still loves me and embraces me and thinks of me as their their friend and their brother and their confidant and this guy who's kind of the all knowing you know, love guru, then I knew the show would, you know, I would, I would remain. Mm-hmm. And so that was my leverage. And so I were, I cultivated that audience and that relationship that I, that I cared for. I still do. And those are the people that propel me now and are listening to this podcast. But what the show grew into was not what I started with. Mm-hmm. And that was the show always shot in LA. We would travel, but they would come back. Rose ceremonies were always in LA. So the show would travel, but I would stay home. I wasn't traveling. The first trip I took was just for fun with Bob Guinea. We went to Jackson Hole and I went to go fishing. (laughs) I wouldn't do anything. And then the first real travel was Charlie O'Connell. Well, we, we shot in New York, but then we went to Aruba for two weeks. That was the first trade out. That was the first time. But in, where, the, but in the past, you would go to Salt Lake City, Las Vegas, and then you'd come back to yeah, the mansion. Back. Like Trista went to Hawaii, and then she came back to LA. Oh, shit. I didn't know that. So the rose ceremonies were so always So you were still in home. LA. Yeah. Okay. Like the finale was always back at the house. Got it. Yeah. We'd, okay. You know, put up the flowers or whatever. We'd do it. You know, Trista got married in the backyard of a house in Encino. Yeah. 
Interesting. And so that was, so life, you know, I was making really good money, staying home, raising my kids, going to mommy and me. It was the best gig in the world. It really was the most desirable show and, and job in the world. But then, you know, when we started traveling nonstop, I had to be on the road nonstop. And that was planes, trains, and automobiles 24-7. We're gone. You know, we're shooting three of these a year. Then we throw in Paradise. So I'm gone for a full month to shoot Paradise. You know, I'm away more than I'm home. Got it. If and, you're doing a, a, a typical day where you're filming, let's say you're traveling and filming, how many hours are you working in a day, you think? Depends. Yeah. Uh, depends. Some days, none. Some days I'm a tourist in, yeah. in Dubrovnik, Croatia. Sure. Or I'm, you know, on a safari in South Africa, but yeah. I'm, I'm also on that safari by myself. Yeah. Um, you know, like we had young kids and my, you know, they can't just pick up their lives and go with me everywhere we're going. Mm-hmm. So they're in school and my kids start sports and all that. So they have lives. Yeah. And so they're, you know, I would come and go and I became this, you know, I don't regret that because I was doing it for them and they will now have a great life because of that. But man, I missed a lot of weddings, birthdays, you know, my kids, I never miss my kid's birthday, but you know, anniversaries and things, you know, all that stuff goes by the wayside because I'm, I'm in Phuket and you're there alone. And so that, that being alone, the, you talk about the loneliness and traveling alone. I would go days without speaking to people. I'd go days without speaking English. Yeah. You know, I would travel to South Africa by myself have to spend the night somewhere, then get in a car with someone I don't know, drive to another city. We're in this remote location and they're all shooting. And so I don't, I, I wouldn't see anybody. Yeah. Um, and so finally I'd see the crew or I'd see a producer. I'm like, glom onto them. I'm yeah. like, please come have a cup of coffee with me. Yeah. Um, and so the, you know, that part is the, the tough part. That's the okay. part that was the grind. It wasn't the on air stuff on air stuff was easy for me. It was yeah. great. I loved it. It was the behind the scenes world of that life. It's tough to say because it's something I'm grateful for. Yeah. I did not have the money growing up to travel. I didn't see the world. You know, I probably wasn't on an airplane until I was like 14, 15 years old. Yeah. And so to be able to see the world on someone else's dime yeah. was magnificent. And yeah. I took advantage of that. Yeah. I really studied the history and went to Vietnam and everywhere we went, I really dove in and loved the culture and I loved the people and yeah. which kind of made it funny for me, the things I went through. And I'm like, there's no, there's nobody that loves more cultures more than me and loved Mm -hmm. it, you know, and embraced it as much as I did around the world and learned so many life lessons while I was traveling and made so many friends. I, I, I adore that part of my life, but at the same time, it was the blessing and the curse. Yeah, that makes sense. I have a million questions I could ask you about your time on the bachelor, but I also want to get to a little bit of what you're doing today. And we only have so much time here. So one of the things I want to make sure I talk about is actually you asked me if you guys haven't listened to it, go listen to the episode that I go on Chris's podcast. But you asked me about my former relationship, which is, of course, no longer. We know the inevitable, spoiler alert, your relationship with the show yeah. is no longer. Do you look back at the show? Do you think about the show now? Do you love the show? Do you miss the show? The show is a blessing. Yeah. I still look at this as a blessing in my life. It, it was hard at first, obviously, I, you know, it wasn't immediate where I was, I felt great about everything because what I went through was tumultuous and I don't wish it on anybody. And it was horrifying on a lot of levels and something that I pray to God that my worst enemy never goes through. But with that said, I knew I had to remove myself from what was, what became a very toxic situation. And I did, and that was a difficult situation because uh, it probably in the long run, I probably could have figured it out. We all could have figured it out, but I had to remove myself from that toxic situation. And so I'm proud of that decision. I'm proud that I handled it the way I did. And 
it, I still look at it as a blessing because it changed my life on so many levels financially. Boom. Sure. Of course it changed my life. It changed my kids' lives. This house we're sitting in now was built on your tears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're good at that. You but did no, too. In, in all seriousness, I, the friends that were in this house for my wedding that you were, you attended that happened because of the show. Yeah. And it's very rare, right? I mean, like the weird thing about my show as opposed to being on, say, Modern Family, like Sarah Hyland, mm-hmm. it's the same four people every day. Yeah, I met thirty new people every season, sure. right? And then, yeah. and then became a new bachelor, new bachelorette, new bachelor, new bachelorette. We go to paradise, so we spent a lot of intimate time together, traveling the world. And that's why these people, you know, and we ex- and we shared a very extraordinary situation and experience that bonded us all. There's things that I saw you go through that no one will ever know about. Yeah. You know, we shared that or, or like we played soccer in Asia together. Yeah. We we went to do a pickup game. Oh yeah. There's just things we did that were like, I'll never share with anybody else. So I hold those things dear. It was a blessing. It changed my life. But at the same time, I can also be grateful that I'm gone. Yeah, and that, absolutely. That's a relationship I, I don't need to be in anymore because it wasn't healthy. It's a perfect, perfect answer. There was great things from it. There were things you learned from it and you move on. Is it safe to say that you as the host of any of those shows, we will not see as a career navigation standpoint, that's not in your future? Going back to that show? Yeah. No. Okay. I mean, I, I, you know, my mom always taught me never say never, but no. Okay. Fair (laughs) enough. We Um, know the career direction Yeah, and it's not in that direction. No. And I'm, and it's not that I, you know, I I think, you know, there's, there's still on the air, the show's still going. It's, it's clearly changed and I'm sure they're trying to evolve it and make it something new and interesting. It's hard in this business. Once you, once you kind of start going downhill, it's hard to get that thing back up top. And that's not an indictment on anybody. It's just hard. This yeah. business is hard. Yeah. Once people go eat at a different restaurant, they're not coming back to yours anymore. And yeah. they, they have found there's other, you know, what we were always great at is everybody came after us, right? There were a million different reality shows about love and relationships. They all failed. Mm-hmm. They all took their shot at the champ and they failed. Mm-hmm. Once I left, people started taking their shots at the champ and they've succeeded. And now there's competition. And now those shows are in the zeitgeist. They're being talked about. They're getting the press that we used to get. So it, again, it's just, it's hard to survive when you don't have those eyeballs anymore. Okay. Because people will talk about another show. Yeah. I think, I think everything you said is bang on, but we think about Chris Harrison today. We think about after your time Mm -hmm. with the bachelor, have you been approached to be on any of those competitive shows that you think are at the pinnacle that are at the limelight to host Has hosting come across your desk since leaving hosting. Yes. And going back to something you're going through now and something I went through, thankfully, I hate to say that, thankfully I got divorced, but the lessons I learned after my divorce, I applied to leaving The Bachelor because The Bachelor was a loss. It was something I went through that was, I had to mourn. I had to mourn the loss of something that I didn't, I didn't intend to exit it then. Mm-hmm. I would have probably soon, but not then like that. And so there was, a, there was mourning a loss there. And I had to realize, like when I left my marriage, take your time and don't just jump back into the next relationship. That's not the Band-Aid that's going to heal that wound. And so I did have some immediate offers to get right back in the game. And hey, man, come on. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, maybe that is what I need. And I realized pump your brakes, man, take some time. I, you know, I wanted to make sure my family was good. I'll be honest. 
I found love because of that. I, yeah. you know, I had time to find love with Lauren. I really enjoyed falling in love and I really enjoyed that journey. And I, I gave myself time to let that breathe. I think it's probably the reason we're married is I, we, you know, I quit hitting the road so much yeah. and I was home yeah. and I got to see my kids graduate high school, go to college, go to all my son's lacrosse games, see all my daughter's, you know, plays and musicals that I missed for years. Mm-hmm. You know, I was the dad, I, you know, luckily I would, I would call the theater teacher when my daughter was in a play and I'd say, can I come to dress rehearsal? Can I come to this practice or yeah. you know, whatever you call it and uh, rehearsal so I can, I can watch the show because I won't be here for the show. Yeah. You know, I missed all her shows. Of course. And so, you know, the, luckily I would, I would sit in the back and just watch her practice. And so I got to do all that. And then, you know, I won't trade that for, for forever because I miss so many big moments of the kids' lives as we do as parents sometimes when we're working. So I'm glad I pumped the brakes and I didn't jump on those. So yeah, I was, I, I was also offered some reality stuff, like okay. being a contestant. They asked me to be on special forces yeah. this season, the one that Nick and uh, Tyler are on. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. asked to be on this season. There was another show, Traders. Yeah. I was asked to be on that. Um, there's been some other stuff like that where yeah. they've asked me to be on it. And that's, that's not my bag. That's yeah. not, you know, I'm a host. Yeah. I'm a producer and a host. And so I think when you, when you make that decision to step on the other side, that's just not, that's not who I am. And it's, I don't want to be, that's just for me. And if the people that do it, great, man, good on you. I, I, I love those shows. I actually ended up watching special forces because Hannah was on it. And then, you know, Tyler and Nick, I loved watching them. I love watching them compete. I will say, I think their time on the bachelor and their time with me and learning the ropes prepared them for that hundred <laughs> percent. Why do you think we win every season of dancing with the stars, every season of all these shows, because going through what you go through emotionally on the bachelor prepares you for that. I was going to say, what's a frozen hand or finger when literally your heart's broken. Well, all those shows, millions. all they are is breaking you down emotionally. Exactly. And you feel like, dude, are you kidding me? Hold my beer. Pen there. <laughs> done that. That. Just did it an hour ago. So yeah. So, you know, I, I passed on some initial hosting things and I've talked about doing some other shows. And I finally got into where I was emotionally post-divorce where when I found love with Lauren, I'm ready to get back in the game. Yeah. And, it, and when I found her, I'm like, I'm ready. Like I'm ready to give myself. I'm ready to give all of me. I'm ready to fall in love. I'm ready to get married. All these things. I'm like, I see it forever now. I'm like, I get this. Yeah. I see that once again with work, what that will manifest itself into. We'll see. But all of a sudden my kids are at, a, you know, my son's a senior. He's about to graduate. Taylor's doing great. She's a, you know, she's a sophomore heading into her junior year. So everybody's good. And every, you know, I'm in a really good season of my life. Now I can feel that fire burning again. It's been three years since you left the show. You've turned down a lot. I love the advice you gave to people when they need a hard reset. Don't just jump to the bandaid, yeah. take a breather, really find your direction. But while you're finding your direction, never forget the value of your brand. Never forget who you are and what you are, even though you want to chase. You didn't do that. Fast forward. Well, that's why, yeah, that's where the podcast came from. Right. Yeah, the most dramatic podcast ever pays me a little bit, but it was never about the money. It was about reconnecting with you, Mm -hmm. reconnecting with Bachelor Nation, you know, that, that relationship that I cultivated and getting back in touch with those that meant the most to me, which was you, the viewer. Right. And so that was the conduit to get me back. And it feels good. It felt great. And I still enjoy it. And, you know, it reminds me of what I'm good at. It reminds me of what I love. And I'm like, okay, that stoked the flames. I'm like, here we go. So where that's the quote, we're now four years. It feels like you've had some time to breathe, relax. January, 2024 is around the corner. We know about your podcast. You've turned down a lot, a lot of opportunities. 
Everyone wants to know career, business, life, you're married and happy. What's next? What can we expect? I'm a huge believer in doing all your work quietly, doing it in private. I've never been one to say, you know, post on social media, look what's next, this, whatever. It's not that I haven't sold stuff. And, you know, I got my book sitting right here above us, but I'm a big believer in working quietly. And then, you know, you know what it is? It's, it's sports. I go back to, you know, I learned so much playing, playing ball and playing soccer my whole life. I never told anybody how hard I worked. I never told anybody how hard I worked in the gym or I stayed up, you know, on Friday nights in high school, I wouldn't go to the football games. I would, I had a soccer net in the back of my car. Me and my buddies would go set up a goal in the park and we would play until they turned the lights off on us. That was, that was my life. I never told anybody about that. I just did it. It felt right. It was the right thing to do. And so this will be the same thing, but I will just say this without giving anything away. The flame has been stoked. The fire's burning hot again. And I think it's time. So we're going to see something from Chris Harrison. That's what I'm speculating. I can't wait to see what the next chapter brings. Oh, that is a professional at heart. All (laughs) right. If you guys haven't, make sure you download Chris's podcast, the most dramatic podcast ever. Check out a copy of his book, The Perfect Letter. Chris, before I get your trading secret, I could talk to you nonstop about all the moves you've made, where you are today, what you've gone through both personally, financially, and professionally. Unfortunately, I have to cut it off somewhere. We'll do a quick, quick rapid fire. So I'm going to ask you a quick question. Okay. And the first thing that comes to mind, trading secret, and we're going to wrap. Go. Best financial decision you made? Moving to California. Worst financial decision you made? A few investments that have not worked out. Okay. For the investors back home, industry, stock, cryptos, or something you think is hot right now? Crypto. Do you think I should date someone from the Bachelor Nation? No. (laughs) With certainty. (laughs) With certainty, no. In all your years of the Bachelor world, can you think of one event that was the most dramatic? Yeah. My wedding. Because if you think about it, the show led to my wedding. I met Lauren because she was covering the show. The show brought me together. And so that was one thing that struck me later was my wedding, the love of my life, everything I have right now. It actually happened because of the show. And for that, I will always be grateful. And I had more rapid fire questions, but when you get goosebumps, shoulder to feet, that's where you end. Chris, I need one trading secret from you. This has been an unbelievable, insightful, educational, certainly motivational, even a little bit therapeutic episode. One trading secret that we could only get from Chris Harrison, can't get from a professor, a YouTube tutorial, a TikTok, only from your life and work experience. Don't be afraid to fail live below your means always and don't worry about the money and the title when you're starting out it'll come trust me it'll come i love those three i'm going to give my own trading secret too i learned from you put your damn ego away lead with your heart and your logic and the rest will come chris harrison where can everyone find everything you have going on most dramatic podcast ever found wherever podcasts are aired wherever you people listen to those things the perfect letter. It's funny how many people are coming back and finding the book. I wrote it back in 2015. Yep. It's actually a great little romance novel. Maybe we should turn that into a TV show. That could be a TV show. Who knows? <laughs> I'll tell you what, we'll all be following along to Chris Harrison. Make sure you go follow him too on Instagram because I don't know, it feels like something's coming. Something's brewing. So I'm excited to see. Me too. I'm happy for you. Me Congratulations. Too. Thanks, man. Thanks for being on Trading Secrets. Love you, brother. Ho, ho, ho. David, that's a little change of pace. If you're listening to this today, on December 25th, Monday, 
Merry Christmas to you, your loved ones, your family, and from the Money Mafia and Trading Secrets podcast to all that are important to you, thank you for being with us. Week in and week out, we look back at this year, we see the way we've grown, and we are so, so thankful for you. You guys are our Christmas gift. And my little bow on that Christmas gift is the one and only, the Curious Canadian. So David, Merry Christmas to you and your family. Thank you for being here. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's Christmas. It has to be the best day of the year. Do you agree? It's a great ah, It's a great day. What's better than Christmas? It's a great day. You're with your family. You're not working. You're eating. You're watching football. You're going out and about. It's a great day. It's a great day. So why the pause? Uh, I just, uh, it's a, Christmas is such a production. Like it's become such a commercialized holiday that it's like so much bullshit. And it's like, I don't know, like there is so much great to it. And I'm sure David with a newborn, yes, it'll be like the best holiday in the world. You know, I think my mom and dad would say the same. I, I got to say, I brought this up on the happy hour that we did, the white elephant happy hour that we did. I am an official protest. I wish Christmas could be on a Wednesday every year. Because it's on a Monday this year, and it feels like a little bit of just like an extended weekend, which kind of takes a little bit of the flair away from it. You mentioned the white elephant. I want people to know out there that we have an all-access networking group where every single month we have professional speakers come on. We talk about specific niches. We network with one another. And it's a very low monthly fee if you want to come join us. We've had it for now three years. So if you're interested in our networking group, Trading secrets at jasontardic.com. Shoot me a message, and there's big changes going into 2024. And I'm very, very excited that I've already begun the process of creating courses for all things personal finance, life, branding, and more. So there's going to be more information on that. If you're interested, just shoot us an email trading secrets at jasontardic.com. And the happy hour was electric, people. I mean, it was a genuinely a, a good time. I gave 20 gifts away. <laughs> 20 <laughs> gifts. I bet you we gave like two, three grand of stuff out. You did. There were some great prizes in there. You were like Oprah. You were just, you get a gift. You get a <laughs> gift. But before we transition to our boy, Chris Harrison, what's one core Christmas memory or Christmas tradition that you really hope to take into your, your adult life? When we were a kid, one thing I'll never forget is Christmas Eve is we had all the aunts, the uncles, the cousins, everyone all together Christmas Eve. To me, that was really special. My grandfather was there, grandma. I just loved every bit of that. I'd love to carry that forward if possible. The second thing is I'll never forget as a kid, I'd wake up at like 6 a.m., run down and get the stockings. And my brother and I would patiently wait for my mom and dad to get up and then we'd open the gifts. And then what we would do with the gifts, David, is we would organize them. So they were, you know, kind of in a mix and there would be little letter, it'd be like Jay and Steve, and we'd like put our little groups together. So I always did that. And the one thing that like I will always do is we open gifts, we have a cup of coffee, and then after gifts, we do a blowout breakfast. You know, we got champagne, we got bacon, all the works, like everything, and totally kick it. So, like, that's kind of our tradition of what we do. That was good. I feel good right now. I feel warm and fuzzy. Warm and fuzzy. We hope everyone back home has a Merry Christmas. I'd be curious what your traditions are, maybe on the next networking event. By the way, the networking events, we're, it's a Zoom. David and I are up. Like, we're all talking. So, you come on, ask us questions, interact with us. Pretty much anything goes, no rules. But that's how uh, it rolls. I'm curious what the listeners back home, what their traditions are. But you know what? We're in deep right now, and we got to get to Chris Harrison part two, because that was an episode you can't afford to miss. What'd you think? Yeah, drop your Christmas traditions in the review. How about that? We just passed 5K. Let's get to 6K. I like it. Now, turning the page, Chris Harrison, I mean, 
The guy is the best. I don't know him. Never met him. You say I'd love him. I, I can't pump this guy's tires enough. He's a great storyteller. He's got a great story to tell. And it was a joy having him on. So I'm going to shift my role here, Jay. I'm going to switch from the curious Canadian to the inquisitive Canadian. Are you ready for that? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Because normally I'm curious about things, but I'm inquisitive. I'm going to ask some questions that maybe you couldn't ask because he was in the room, but he ain't in the room. He's probably in Austin, Texas right now, basking in the nice weather, even though it's Christmas. So I'm really going to put you in the hot seat. Are you ready for this? Yeah, I'll do the best I can do. All right. Perfect. So I'm going to start at the end of the interview when you were asking him, you said, Chris, you know, your most desirable job in the world. And he got in the weeds a little bit about, you know, the loneliness of it, et cetera, et cetera. But then he said, Jason, you know the links at what they went to replace me, and you know who they tried to get to replace me. I have in my notes, I said, who? I need to know. Who? Do you know who? Can you say who? Who did the show so badly want to replace Chris Harrison with, and any insight into what lengths they did go? Well, uh, how about this? I'll tell you that my understanding is that the replacement that they wanted, the names are like A-list, like big, like, like, like uh, household names. They're household names that it doesn't matter what state or what city you're in, you say these names and you will know them. Oh. And they've been, not, we're not talking about, and we're not talking about names that have been around for like a year or two, maybe three or four. We're talking about okay. decade plus big, big time names. Interesting. And you're saying names, like I'm, th- are they trying to replace them with a duo? Is this like Seacrest and Kelly? Uh, no, I'm saying through the rumblings. Oh, okay. Again, nothing direct. Mm. I only It's only hearsay, mm. but my hearsay understanding is like, if you had the list of people that they mm. wanted, they were massive names. Like, Can I guess? Yeah, massive names. I mean, take a stab. I, I, th- I just think Ryan Seacrest, like that fits the bill. Imagine Seacrest up there. I mean, he's kind of similar. There's kind of 10 years from what you're telling me. I don't know. He just... I'm I'm inquisitive. I want it to come out in the world one time of of who they really wanted to get. I that's that's not a name that I heard, but okay, uh, I, at that level for sure. Okay, wow. And I could see because he's in the ABC family. I bet yeah. you they did not. I bet you they did knock on his door. You know, uh, I'm an American Idol guy. I can get down with Seacrest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Next next inquisitive question. He he was great with numbers in part one. Uh, part two, you can tell he got a little tight, little tight lip there. You did get out of him that he was making seven figures near the end of end of the uh, his hosting on the Bachelor uh, franchise. Now, is that seven figures a season? Is that absurd to me to think seven figures an episode? Um, we have done really well in the past guessing what people's you know salaries are or what their income is. Can you give me any insight um, into that? Seven figures? Is that a season? Is that an episode? Is that, that's obviously probably more than a year. Well, give me some dirt. I mean, when I asked seven figures, like you heard his tone, right? He's like, oh yeah, <laughs> like, like, come on. He's like, come on, let's be real. Plus he had all those other gigs. If I had to guess, I'm going to take a stab that annually it was like in that three to seven million sweet spot per year. That would be my guess. That's everything. That's Bachelor Paradise and, and Bachelorette all combined into one, three to seven. It's a good range. I mean, that's my guess. So, yeah. Uh, you know? Yeah. I think it, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's a good guess. So when he no longer was the host, Refresh my memory. Did he get fired? Did he choose to leave? Was there a severance? I know I read a lot of uh, articles around the time of like Chris Harrison got paid, you know, eight figures in hush money to not, you know, disclose anything and not speak negatively of the franchise. I wanted to say it was in like the 20 to $50 million mark. 
I'm just being inquisitive right here. I'm poking, I'm poking Santa Claus. I'm sitting on his lap. I'm tapping his <laughs> knee. I'm saying, come on, Santa. Let me know here. Um, uh, listen. I'm listening. Everything <laughs> you just asked are questions I want to know. Okay. Desperately. Okay. What I can tell you is that based on conversations I have had, these are conversations I can't step into. Okay. I got to respect it. You know, on the day of giving, you just, you can only give so much and that's, I have to respect it. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to politely decline Fair. Inquisitive David here. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I, I can't change the, the, my name and then expect to get away with it wholeheartedly. I will have to bring up this. He kept talking in part one and part two about the creator of the show, the creator of the show. He would not say the name of the creator of the show. I, I think I know who it is but you're going to have to confirm it. He, he really didn't speak like anybody really from Warner Brothers to himself to really had a, a great relationship with him. Do you have any experiences with the creator of the show, Mystery Man? Is he still there? Is he not there? So creator, right? You know, cr- creator is Mike Fleiss. Right, okay. So it's got to be who he's referring to. Yes. Mike Fleiss is no longer with the show. Right. I know that. My experience when I met Mike the first time was when I was interviewing to possibly be the bachelor back in 2008. So you don't so none of the contestants meet the creator when they're contestants, only when they are leads? Oh, no, yeah, like very rarely. I mean, you think about how many seasons there are in the hundreds, thousands of people, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know how many people have been through the show. How many people have like met in an office with Mike Fleiss that's a cast member? Yeah, yeah. Less than 100, right? So the, all the leads obviously and then some people in between. Now, I do, not, once I met him, and once I knew who he was, I realized on night one and two, he floats around in the mansion. Mm. Or he did when he was working there. He'd wear all black and just float around in the mansion. When he interviewed me to be The Bachelor, yeah, there was like five people in the room. He didn't say much. He had sunglasses on or either pers- or glasses that like tinted. I think they were sunglasses. His feet were on the desk leaning back and he was ripping his vape. <laughs> So I didn't get much interaction with him. What was he wearing? All black. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just it's just you know it's interesting to see. Obviously, the show blew up to the biggest show in the world, and the creator of it. Usually, you have glowing reviews, but yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's just interesting. I, I'm getting I'm getting Halloween vibes. I'm not getting uh, uh, Christmas vibes right now. So I'm gonna I'm gonna move on from this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I think you nailed that. All right. All right. This is maybe back to a curious Canadian. It's a little inquisitive too, but he was talking about his first contract with the show. And he said that he thought it was five seasons, much to his dismay. It was five years. And he was freaking out because what shows are successful for 15 seasons, which was packed in those first five years. He did say a quote, I'm going to float out there just because it hit with me. And I feel like it probably hit with a lot of people is their job is to pay you as little as possible, but to make you work as much as possible. You know, that was just a quote that stuck out to me. But I'm going to really ask you a question about contracts. He said that when he found out that it was five years instead of five seasons, he fired his agent. He hired new ones. He says his new agency looked at his contract, laughed at it, burned it, and came back with new terms. I, I want to bring this up because we have a, we're fortunate enough to have a, a billionaire businessman who helps us uh, on our hockey side with our program on the business side. And every time he asks a question about something, I say, well, that's how the contract was signed, or that's how the contract reads, or that's the. And he goes, he laughs, and he goes, well, the good news is contracts are meant to be broken. Is that true? Is that a truth bomb? 
from the really high power or hyper successful people. And that's how they look at contracts. Cause I know the middle class, like myself, like we're told contracts are contracts. They're legally binding. There's nothing we can do. And we just got to wait until they wait till they dissolve. So that's my curious slash inquisitive question on contracts. Yeah. I mean, I think for a billionaire, it's easy to say that because the biggest issue with contract breach is do you have the dollar cents and like insurance coverage to take care of you based on the liability? So you have endless pockets. Contracts mean nothing because you'll just keep, keep going to war until you have to, until it's settled, until you figure it out. I think the idea of rules are meant to be broken. That I mean, I, there's contracts left, right, and center every day that are being broken. But can you come to an agreement and negotiate through them is the answer. Like I just had a contract for an influencer deal. It was broken 16 times each way, right? On deadlines or what they said they were going to do. And what I said, like there was a million things wrong with it. And six years of contract work with influencer partnerships. I've only had two become a disaster. One just happened recently. Just an absolute disaster on the agency side that we worked with, on the brand side, terrible communication, a mess. So we all get together away from the contract and come up with a resolution. More often than not, yeah, the reality of what happens from the contract is significant. And I think if you have empty pockets, yeah, you can go to war with contracts. The, you know, I think about his deal. You always have these interviews and you got a million questions you want to ask and you wish you'd go back to the chalkboard. But I think about if his year was a five-year deal and then he renegotiated, what it sounds like he renegotiated was how he would be compensated as opposed to term. So if his first, if his second year deal was still a five-year deal, but then things were different where he was paid like by hour or by episode or whatever it was, I think he left at the 20-year mark. Wow. So 5, 10, 15, 20. You know what I'm saying? Who know? I, this is all projecting based on information provided. Was there a new deal coming? Was there a new negotiation happening? Yeah, you know, I hear you saying. If we know his first contract was five years... And at 20 years, was it something else? I have no idea. I could be way off. Maybe they renegotiated the second deal and it's three years. Right. But if it stayed at a five-year mark, it would have been a new contract if it was 20 years, right? Because he kept saying 20 years, 20 years. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. Very interesting. Fascinating stuff. Fascinating stuff. The whole world, I mean, I wish, what I wish is one day, if possible... I could really get Chris in like a tell-all position because could you? Oh my God. Oh, I mean, he's not, he would never do that. Like he, maybe he'll write a book. Maybe he'll take it to his grave. I don't know. But could you imagine just strictly business, the business stories this man must have? I hope there's like when you, you have alimony and you're done paying 10 years and, you're, and then you get to like just go all out. I hope he has like a 10 year like silence. Then it's just like, all right, Jason, I'm ready for on season 12 of uh, Trading Secrets to come on and really tell you everything that I couldn't tell you on season three. So that would be electric. Crazy. I'd, be, I'd sign up for that. Yeah. Just nuts. The whole thing. I mean, if you think about part one and part two of Chris's life, we got such an accelerated version is as much information that we could possibly extract in each of these steps Mm -hmm. within a 20 year period and a 20 year career that literally 99.999999% of all humans never go through. And I feel like the part one and part two was so rich with so much insight and information and storytelling from Chris that we never saw and sides of Chris that listeners have never heard that it was just amazing. 
But like still, even after I'm like, I want more. I need more. I need another. I need another interview with the guy. Well, I I, I, I was going to say I would love a Netflix documentary on this, like a limited series rise and fall the bachelor series because it is falling he said that they were pawn scum of the tv industry reality tv was just starting when they started this you know if they had if trista season had the numbers that they have today they wouldn't have even made it out of that season they would have been canceled a long time ago i mean he he just like you said such a hyper you know fast forward journey through his life and one thing that i always love trading secrets for is like so much take home life advice, even though you might be on a completely different path than Chris Harrison. He talked about so many amazing things. I love the chirp when he said this house was built on your tears. Uh, (laughs) But I just, I love some of the takeaways that he had, you know, you know, do what you do and work quietly. Um, Excited to see here that his training secrets, don't be afraid to fail, live, live below your means and don't worry about your title. I just think just those alone on top of all the entertainment and the stories that he provided for us. Truly, truly incredible. And he said, the flame has been stoked. The fire's getting going again. I can't wait to see what uh, Chris Harrison is up to now that he's got that tickle. He's got that, that motivation. David, I don't want to know. I need to know. What is next for Chris Harrison? What is the project that he's working on? He's got the tickle. He's got the fire. Something tells me we'll be seeing him on our screens again. I don't know. But I'll end this with a couple of comments. This is part one and part two with Chris Harrison. For anyone that hasn't had the pleasure of meeting Chris, I want to put out there that Chris is an unbelievable friend. He is a great human. I've seen him interact with people at all levels from 2018 to 2023. He's funny. He's kind. He's giving. He's humble. He's just an overall great friend and a good person. And I just want to give a little shout out to Chris for coming on and thank him for giving me an opportunity to get vulnerable in his hot seat. And while this is the end of me being on Chris's podcast and him being on ours for now, I just want everyone out there to know what a good guy he is. So that's all I got about Chris Harrison. Anything before we wrap, David? I can't wait to end the year with you in the hot seat. I will be in the hot seat. Jason Tells All is coming up, coming in hot. Remember to subscribe when you hit that follow button on Spotify and Apple. It truly helps us. Give us a five-star review. Let us know who you want on the podcast and any big takeaways you had from this episode. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of Trading Secrets, one hopefully you couldn't afford to miss. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and Happy Holidays to you and your loved ones. And of course, Happy Hanukkah. Have a great rest of 2023. Bringing that money, money, rain on me.